Father, how good it is to gather this morning in Jesus' name. How good to join our voices and be reminded of the realities of the incarnation and the great truths that we are not a forgotten people. And that out of your great love and kindness, you sent the Lord Jesus to be our Savior. Father, may we indeed, as we were just reminded by the musicians, may we bring gifts. May our gold be the gold of obedience. May our incense be the incense of holiness. Father, what a privilege is ours to take our Bibles and to learn and to refresh and remind ourselves of these great truths this Christmas season. May you use your word today to impact us, to grow us, to challenge us. Accomplish your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christmas is full of surprises, isn't it? Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and as you turn, let's just think about some of the surprises of Christmas. We, of course, have a great tradition of exchanging gifts. We like to think that we do it, and uh, the way that God so gave gifts at Christmas, so we give gifts. I suspect that we're motivated at a little more base level than that. But uh, we do have gift exchanges at our house when you have a really big surprise One of the ways that we like to set it up is sometimes with a smaller package under the tree. I don't know if you do this. A smaller package under the tree, and whoever the big gift is for, they will open it, and there will be a little note, and it will tell them to go to the next step on their scavenger hunt, you might say. And maybe underneath the bed is another package, and they'll open that, and then they'll go down, and behind the shower curtain will be another. And maybe when they're out of the room, we'll get the big gift and set it in there. And then when they come back, there it is. And what a surprise. And it's so fun, isn't it? I remember one year I was building for Tasha. She was just a little girl, maybe four years old at the time. And we were ministering in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and I was building an oak table and chair set for her little dollies and for her to sit at and have tea. And um, I was running a little late, and it was into the night Christmas Eve, and I was out in the garage a few feet away from our home there where we lived. And on the streets in Ephrata, the homes, the houses are not very far apart. And so I worked in the garage, getting a final coat of finish on the oak table and chairs, whatever, and... And then maybe one o'clock in the morning was heading up the sidewalk to go back in our back door and just quiet in the community and just alert around, looking around before I entered the home to go to sleep. And I looked around in the street lamps shedding a glow of light between the houses. My eye picked up on something that wasn't there. I didn't know what it was and I wanted to look and there it was my brand new 10-speed bicycle that Janet had set out there. She'd had one of the guys in church drop it off after dark, so it would be there in the morning to be a surprise. (laughs) Do you know that it's very difficult to act surprised when you're really not surprised? (laughs) Do you also know that embedded in the Christmas story are one surprise after another? Just about every major player in our Christmas story was absolutely surprised and received the unexpected. We're going to look at a couple of those surprises. We've titled our message this morning, Surprised by Jesus. And uh, I want, as our goal this morning, to do two things. One is, I just want to remind us once again of the marvel of this story and kind of just refresh us that we not make the mistake that, oh, I know that story. 
over and over and over, I know those stories, that we would just take a look at it and refresh ourselves with the wonder and the marvel of the incarnation of Christ. That is God putting on flesh, coming to visit us, unworthy sinners. And that out of that great love and kindness comes the incarnation, comes the transformation of life, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen? That we would just remind ourselves this morning of these great truths. But it also occurred to me as I was developing this message that it's a great message for young people today. And I'm glad to see a lot of young people here. And I just trust that you'll listen closely because in some practical ways, as we look at how Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men were surprised by Jesus, that there's some lessons there that I think can help you in some great ways. So young people, will you listen closely? And I think that you'll find the message this morning very helpful. Let's begin with our first character in the story. The key player, of course, is Mary herself. And what a remarkable young lady she was. Mary was surprised by Jesus when she received, number one in our message today, the unexpected call. An unexpected call on Mary's life, out of nowhere, without warning, without any ability to prepare herself, God surprises her with an unexpected call. Let's read the account of how Mary found out about the role that she would play. It's in Luke's Gospel in chapter 1, and you might mark your Bible, especially if you're not real familiar with your Bible, um, and recognize that this Christmas season is a real good time for you to just, on your own, read through the Christmas stories. And you will benefit in a way without someone preaching at you or teaching a story for you to just sit quiet with a cup of coffee or a hot cup of tea and to just read slowly through the stories of Christmas and let the Lord refresh you with it. You will find in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and 2, most of the details of the birth of Christ. And and in Luke's Gospel, it pertains most from Mary's perspective. It also contains the story of the shepherds. When we go to Matthew in a few minutes, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's the story of the birth of our Lord, particularly from Joseph's perspective, and it has there the stories of the wise men, probably a year or two following the birth of our Lord, and Herod's angst over the birth of our Lord. So those are the two Gospels that you have to go to. In John, he opens up his Gospel with just, uh, in the beginning was the Word, And that's it, and off he goes, and he doesn't give a birth account. And in Luke's gospel, remember, Luke was not an eyewitness. Matthew, Mark, and John were eyewitnesses, but Luke was a a researcher, a historian. And so Luke uh, gives an account, but Mark, though he was an eyewitness, he gives us the most condensed gospel, and he leaves out the birth details. So, So John and Mark do not have the birth details. Matthew begins with the birth details of our Lord, and he gives mostly Joseph's angle, and Luke gives the birth details of our Lord and gives mostly Mary's perspective. So that might be helpful for you, just to be able to think how your, your Gospels open up. We're going to read verses 26 to 38 in Luke chapter 1, and it says that it was in the sixth month. Now, if you were reading the story, you would know that what's been happening is that Mary's cousin Elizabeth, who's an older woman 
unexpectedly and surprised by God, not about Jesus, but about whom she is now pregnant with, the one who comes before Jesus, but who's not worthy to unloose unloosen the laces of his sandals. Who was that? John the Baptist. He was the one who came crying in the wilderness. Make, make way. The Lord's coming. So he was six months older than Jesus. And they were cousins. And Elizabeth is pregnant. So he marks time here, uh, Luke does, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. The angel Gabriel, he names him for us. This messenger from God, sent from God, named Gabriel. Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Let's stop for just a minute and make sure we understand this betrothal that she was experiencing. Many of you are familiar with that, I'm sure. The culture of the day and that society was that this was a very formal arrangement. But this is insightful then for us to understand how Mary and Joseph must have been thinking. They were betrothed or betrothed, and so they had a legal binding agreement. It was, it was in a sense an engagement, but really it was a done deal. They were in essence married, but they were still waiting. There was a time frame that would go on of preparation, of getting their home ready, of getting their uh, marriage uh, details ready, and then they would have the marriage ceremony, the marriage feast, and then they would consummate the marriage physically after that. So they were not to be together physically. In fact, it would have been inappropriate and culturally unacceptable, but they would have both been very much in the planning stage and very much in the understanding stage that they were going to be husband and wife. And the other thing that you need to know, and this will come to light when we look at Matthew's Gospel and Joseph's account this morning, that to break that betrothal, meant to go to court or go to the religious leaders and have them in a legal way, in a sense, it would have been called a divorce. It was a level of divorce to break that agreement. And that's what Joseph considered doing when he finds out that Mary's pregnant earlier on. So here's the betrothed Mary, a precious young girl, probably in her early to mid-teens, just old enough to be able to have children, In this culture, it would have been not uncommon for quite a young girl to be betrothed. She may have known for for a number of years that it was Joseph she was going to marry. And it is most likely that Joseph was a good bit older. He probably already had his carpentry business established. He was building a home or had built a home. And there's a lesson for our young people, our young men in particularly. Get your house ready, get your fields planted, and then get your wife. All right? And uh, just be prepared and work ahead and plan. There's a good model there in Joseph. Let's continue to read in Luke's Gospel. He's betrothed to the virgin, to a man whose name, to a virgin, betrothed to a man, verse 27, whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Another indicator that she was surprised and that this was very unexpected is she was told not to be afraid. It's interesting. That's an interesting repeated phrase in the Christmas story, isn't it? 
Joseph will be told not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. The shepherds will be told by the angel to not be afraid. They were totally startled out of their skin by these angels appearing in the dark night. Unexpected surprises in the Christmas story. Mary's unexpected call goes on and we're detailed. She ponders, what is it that the angel said to her, this strange greeting that you have found a special favor in the eyes of the Lord. I think that Mary was probably a very godly and spiritual girl, that she had a relationship of knowing God. She knew her Old Testament, no doubt. I think that she was the kind of girl who thought spiritual thoughts and cared about what God thought about her. And she knew that she was loved by God. She knew that Messiah was coming, in fact. I think that it was very likely that Mary grew up singing songs about Messiah shall come. And they sang songs about the deliverance. And they, they knew that God had a plan and they knew their Old Testament. They knew, they knew Isaiah. They knew that somehow even a young girl would conceive. I don't know if young Jewish girls actually thought about the fact that Messiah might come through them. It's very likely that they thought like that because I think they clearly thought that Messiah would be born, that it would be in human flesh, but that God would come through Messiah and deliver them. And most of them, of course, as we know, thought that that was a political deliverance, an economic deliverance, first and foremost, that he would reestablish the kingdom of Israel. They were now under Roman, Romans, the, the thumb of Rome. And so Mary had an understanding of these things, but it says that she pondered this greeting. Why is it? It kind of troubled. What do you mean I'm favored of God? What do you mean by that? Of course I know I'm loved by God, but you're talking and she understood the angel to mean that, that God is focusing on you in some special way right now. Let's continue to read. And behold, you will conceive, the angel says to Mary, verse 31, in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end and Mary knew exactly who he was talking about. He was talking about Messiah. And Mary said to the angel, not to question the reality of it, I think the nuance in the Greek grammar is such that you can see that it wasn't a rebellious question or a question of disbelief. That is, oh, shucks, how can that happen? It was, no, how can this happen, verse 34? How will it be since I'm a virgin? In other words, not the reality of the fact that it's going to happen, but could you inform me on the mechanics of this? How will this happen? She goes on to say, because I am a virgin, I've never been with a man. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37 ought to be underlined in your Bible, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. You think Mary wasn't surprised by Jesus? The unexpected call on her life. 
What a remarkable reality for Mary. Let's comment on just a couple things. This whole miraculous conception, that's a phrase that is used by some to recognize or they think that Mary was conceived without sin from her parents, and that's what they mean when they say the miraculous conception. That's not taught in the Bible anywhere. Mary was born a normal person who needed a Savior just like everyone else. And the miraculous conception is that through the Holy Spirit overshadowing her, coming upon her, conceived in her womb in a very physical way, Not a sexual way at all, but in a miraculous physical way, there would be DNA and the development of an embryo, and a true human would grow in her womb. And that baby would be 100% man, and it would be 100% God, and hence the, the, the reality and the clarity with which the Bible teaches that there was no man involved. If this is a child, this is the Son of God, not a man. And it also, I think, has ramifications as to the sinlessness In his humanity, Jesus was also sinless in his deity. I want to make clear, some people teach, um, namely in Islam and Mormonism, they will teach that God the Father had a physical sexual act with Mary conceiving a son, Jesus. The Bible doesn't teach that. This was a spiritual reality that had physical results. It was not a sexual act of God on Mary I can't explain it any better than that. That's what the Bible says. And so I point you to verse 37 again. Have problems believing it? For nothing is impossible with God. And I think Mary needed that a little bit to clarify and clear her mind. How's all this going to happen? Mary, let me just remind you, Gabriel says, with God, nothing's impossible. He'll work his plan. Mary is surprised by this unexpected call on her life. Everything in her world is now changing At one level, what a privilege, but on the other level, what a puzzle. How difficult for her to understand. And I want to point out, this is where I bring in our attention of the young people particularly. I'd like to present or point out of this passage three essential spiritual qualities that prepared Mary for God's unexpected calling on her life. Let me say that again. In this passage, I think we can see easily There's probably more, but there are three spiritual qualities that Mary possessed that prepared her for God's unexpected calling on her life. In other words, Mary, without any anticipation, Mary, without any understanding that any of this was going to happen, was immediately available, was immediately usable. What three qualities are they? Number one is purity. Did you notice that? Repeatedly in the passage, it says that she was a virgin and she tells the angel, I have never known a man. She was a physically pure young maiden. I want to tell you that if there's one area that Satan is using to destroy the consciences of our young people and using uh, as a tool to break down the minds of our young people as believing that God can use them, it's in the area of physical inappropriate behavior sexually. They're entering into sinful relationships. They know it's sinful. They've been taught. And yet the desires are strong. They enter in. And then they think, oh, God can't use me. In this situation in particularly, God could use Mary because of her purity. She waited on God. 
She cared about God's word. She cared about what her parents taught her. She knew that, that these things were sinful in God's eyes and inappropriate. Reminds me of Romans chapter 1, verses 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church, I beg of you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to do what? To present your body a living sacrifice. What's the next word? Holy and acceptable unto God. And do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good and His pleasing and His perfect will for your life. Now listen to me closely. God is always a God of second chances. He is always a God of grace. He is always a God of new beginnings. But young people, I challenge you in this area to maintain your purity, to wait for the spouse God has for you laid out in the future plan of blueprint of your lives. Wait on God. And don't compromise yourself in this area and learn Romans 12, 1 to, to daily, maybe even hourly sometimes. Surrender your body as a living and holy sacrifice unto God. Mary knew what it was to be immediately usable by God and she was eligible for selection for this incredible calling on her life because of her purity. What a good testimony she is to you young ladies here today. What a good model she is. It didn't ruin her life to wait. She's not going to worry about growing up to be some old maid that doesn't have a man. You've got to learn to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ all of those fears. But she was usable because of her purity. Secondly, let your eyes fall down to verse 38. And look what it says here. When the angel speaks to her and reminds her that nothing is impossible with God, notice that it, Mary says, Behold, I am your servant. Guess what the word is? What was the word last week? Doulos. I am your bond servant. I am your slave. I am your servant. I'm your doulos. You own me. I don't have rights. You have the rights. And the second quality that makes spiritual quality that makes Mary immediately usable by God to fulfill this special calling on her life was her humility. Her humility. Not only her purity, but she has a humble heart. She recognizes that God is her master. In our case, this Jesus now is our Lord and Savior. She didn't think in terms of Jesus the way we did at this young age. I think that later on at the cross she understood exactly who Jesus was. And she recognized that the one she had brought into the world was the one that had to die on the cross to be her substitute, to take her sin too. And the sins of the world, that those who would look to the cross would be saved. That's what the incarnation is all about. God in the flesh, so that he could communicate to man the love of God and his need for salvation. Do you remember Paul Harvey? I remember when I was a kid, my dad had a 1968 Chevy Impala station wagon, and I can remember driving up to Christie Lake from South Chicago to our Bible camp a lot with him in that old station wagon with the AM radio on, and Paul Harvey would come on with his news and comments for five minutes or something like that after, right at noon. Remember Paul Harvey had the 
stories that he would tell, and he would have the, uh, and now you know the rest of the story. He used to tell a story that I don't have 100% here, but it'll help us understand the incarnation and God coming in the flesh and the purpose for it. Remember the one story that Paul Harvey told, and it's been repeated many times, something like this of the daddy's at home and his the wife and the kids are going off to the Christmas Eve service at the church. It's a, a windy, winter, cold, blowing, blistery night. And the dad, he's not much about church. And so he sends the kids and the family and off they go. And he settles in his chair to read the paper. And all of a sudden, in the windy, outside the window, there's a thumping on the window. And he looks up and he notices some, some birds are hitting the glass as though they wanted to come into the warmth of the living room and get out of the the blast of the cold, and he watches them for a little while, and, and then Paul Harvey would go on and tell how he went outside and got his, got his coat and his boots on, and he went outside, and he tried, he opened up the, the carriage garage doors, and he tried to shoo the birds in and get them in out of the cold, and they wouldn't, wouldn't cooperate, and he went and got some breadcrumbs and tried to make a trail of breadcrumbs, and they couldn't, they wouldn't come in, and all of a sudden it dawned on him. What I need to do is to be able to become a bird and so I can speak their language and fly with them and tell them that it's safe and this is the way to shelter. It's, Paul Harvey said the church bells begin to ring and he went to his knees recognizing all of a sudden in one moment the reality of the incarnation that in the way that he wanted those birds to cooperate with him but they couldn't understand him, that God wanted man to cooperate with him but they wouldn't listen. They had a will of their own off and gone and God became flesh so he could speak our language and lead us aright. That's the reality of the incarnation. God putting on flesh. Back to Mary and these qualities of her usability Purity, humility. The final one in 38b is this. Behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you get that? I mean, think about this. We're not told the context in which the angel Gabriel comes and speaks to her, but somehow Mary's either alone in her room or she's out in, a, in the backyard and or she's asleep. And, and Joseph's was specifically stated that it was a vision in a dream it doesn't say that about Mary. The angel appears to her, communicates to her that she will now carry in her womb the very Son of God. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. Everything in her world's going to change. And she says, I am your servant. May it be as you say. I'm available. The third quality is just availability. Look what it says. It says that, she said, may it be to me according to your word. You can do with me whatever you want because I'm your doulos. I'm your servant. Purity, humility, availability. Young people, are you fighting God for the availability to the controls of your life? If your life's a car and has a steering wheel and, and a gear shift and a brake and a gas pedal, how much does God have control of? Are you behind the wheel making sure your life's going to turn out the way you want it to turn out no matter what? Or do you invite God to sit at the controls of your life and say, Lord, you get me where I'm supposed to go. Lord, I am yours. I want to maintain my purity. I want to be usable. I want to be surrendered over as a living sacrifice to you. 
In all humility, I bow my head and my heart before you, and I'm completely available to you. Use me. That is part of the secret, at least, to how Mary could immediately respond to God's special call in her life. Well, let's look at her fiancé. Let's look at her husband-to-be. He's in Matthew chapter 1 and will not take quite as long for Joseph. But in Mary, we have this unexpected call. And number two, in Joseph, we have an unexpected change. An unexpected change. We're in Matthew chapter 1. We'll pick it up at verse 18. And we can only believe that Joseph had a plan for his life. Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph was betrothed. betrothed. We knew that he knew what was happening. He had his life planned out. He was making preparations. He was in control. He was a responsible man. And if you ask Joseph, what's going to happen with the rest of your life? He's going this way. He said, I've got my carpenter shop and business running. I got my house built. I got my wife coming in. I've got the date set. Everything's good. Going to live right there in the burb, have kids and live happily ever after. Until God comes in with unexpected change. Ever have God do that to you? I'm not suggesting in any way that God will reenact the incarnation in any of our young people or old people. But I am suggesting that we need to be awake and alert for God's unexpected call and God's unexpected changes, don't we? Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary, Matthew 1.18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and an unwilling man to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What a good guy, huh? You got the picture, don't you? It doesn't tell us how it happened. We don't know the conversation. It's not recorded for us. But Matthew just starts in in 118, and Joseph has the information. Joseph has been totally surprised by Jesus, literally. Mary has come to him, or Mary's father, perhaps, has come and said, Joseph, sit down. I need to tell you something. Your life has just changed. Mary is pregnant with the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, with the Messiah. Obviously, Joseph didn't understand all of it because... He's thinking about divorcing her. That's what it took to break the betrothal. This legal binding arrangement, he would have to go back and they would have to sever it legally. He had a right under Levitical law to have her drug outside the city gates and stoned to death. There's really no evidence uh, in in the historical uh, writings that that ever happened. It maybe happened early on, uh, while Moses was still living perhaps, but in this day and age... Society had uh, become quite secular and quite corrupt and duplicity and hypocritical standards were everywhere and there wasn't a following through to the letter of the law. But he certainly had the right to have this thing chopped off and have the arrangement severed legally. And then he had a right to do it publicly. In other words, he had a right to exonerate himself with the public so that everyone would know that Mary's pregnancy had nothing to do with this young man so that he could then start over in his life and find another bride and start the arrangement over again and live happily ever after without this being something that overshadows his reputation. But being a just and righteous man, being a man who loved God, being a man 
who was a gentleman, being a man who esteemed others higher than himself, being a man who loved his neighbor as himself, he had compassion on Mary, he had confusion in his mind, and it said he finally decided, I will just put her away quietly. In other words, I will follow through with the divorce. Our arrangement is over, and she can just go, and whatever happens, happens. I don't really understand what's happening. That's where we are in the story, and then at verse 19... Uh, He resolved to divorce her quietly, but then at verse 20, but as he considered these things, see, he's pondering them, he's working them around. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. It doesn't say who, but he's dreaming, and an angel appears to him. By the way, uh, just uh, a parenthesis, people always want to know, can God speak to me through an angel today? And I would say, I guess so. I, I think so. I've never experienced it that I know so. Um, But I don't see why he wouldn't. And the Bible doesn't say that God stopped doing that. The Bible clearly says in Psalms and Hebrews that God uses angels to minister to his people. I know stories that are very remarkable and people who believe that God used angels in their lives. And in their testimonial, the angels were always in the form of people. They look like people. But I don't know, and that gets a little bit uh, foggy as far as to what extent, and I don't think you go seeking to communicate with angels. God has spoken to us, and it's through his word. Paul warned in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, that if anybody comes to you and, and tries to convince you of another gospel, even if it's an angel talking to you, disregard it if it doesn't go along with this word. So I don't think it's something that we seek. I don't think it's something that we focus on. I think that in, in uh, certain situations, uh, extreme Uh, spiritual conflict or uh, extreme circumstances of a life, it could very well be that God could use an angel to speak to you, perhaps one of our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ who's in a prison cell. They don't have scripture with them. They're dying. They're being beaten and tortured. Perhaps God will use an angel to, to minister to them in a very literal sense where they would see it and have communication. I don't know. I don't know, perhaps there's stories represented here today. But people always want to know about that, so I thought I would comment right there. Let's move on with our story, okay? But as he considered these things, behold, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, there it is again, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's Isaiah 7. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, that means physically, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is a remarkable man. This is a remarkable man, and uh, we're thinking in terms of Joseph going this direction with his life. Now he's surprised by Jesus, and he has an unexpected change in his life, and he's going a whole new direction. And let me just quickly wrap up this message with four quick thoughts on God's will for my life, learned through God's will for Joseph's life. This is where I mean, again, young people, that might be beneficial to you to think about and ponder some of these things. Everything in Joseph's life changes. Everything is different. All of a sudden, God is redirecting his life. Four lessons about God's will learned from God's will for the life of Joseph. Number one is, his life was redirected 
by circumstances outside of his control. His life was redirected by circumstances outside of his control. I don't know how God is at work in your life, young people. Maintain your purity, maintain your humility, be available. God will get you where he wants you to be. And God's will is always a question that everybody, especially young people, want to know about, and old people too. But sometimes God uses circumstances totally out of our control to redirect the very course and direction of our lives. Some guy fully plans on being in, joining the military or something, and then he goes get his physical and he finds out he's not eligible. And all of a sudden, something totally out of his control redirects him. There's a total change of direction. Sometimes in extreme ways. Maybe as a young person, your parents have moved. And by moving to a whole new part of the country, all of a sudden, everything's different and out of your control. Watch out. What is God doing? What is he doing in this set of circumstances to show his will for you? I was thinking of a very extreme way with an adult, how God, and we used to talk about this. Our dear brother, Junior Laymaster, falls off a horse. He breaks his neck. He's a quadriplegic. We used to talk about this circumstance out of his control. What is God doing? And now in his life, with circumstances out of his control, God is going to show him a whole new way that he's going to use him. I think only in eternity will we know how God used those 11 months in the, in the life of that servant. Maybe more happened in the tragedy and in the brokenness of 11 months than an entire lifetime lived before that. God doesn't always choose to do that kind of thing. He brings brokenness on occasion, even physical brokenness. But what are the circumstances of your life, and what are the ones that are out of your control, and how is it that God is actually directing you? Joseph, all of a sudden, has a total redirection by God. Secondly, you need to understand that he received clarity by a word from God. He received clarity about God's will from his, for his life, by a word from God. That's the angel Gabriel. When, when Joseph is totally and utterly confused about his circumstances, he needs a word. He needs somebody to turn the lights on, and all of a sudden, God gave it, didn't he? Some of you have been there, haven't you? He's not sure what God's doing. Your job is over. Things have happened and your, your life is just not the way you thought it was going to be and circumstances are out of your control and you need a word. And then one day, you don't have Gabriel come bring you a word from God, but you open the word of God and get a word from God. And all of a sudden, there it is. Somehow God uses your meditation through his scripture to bring clarity to what he's doing to help you wait upon him or to help you make the next decision, to help you know what you're supposed to do. Young people, listen closely to me. You will never find clarity about the will of God for your life without taking time to understand the word of God. The will of God is never made clear apart from the word of God. It starts in pretty simple ways. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. It's a pastor's favorite one to remind Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's God's will for your life. If you can't handle that, you can't handle other things for God's will for your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. It is God's will that you be sanctified and that you learn to control your body, not in lust like the heathens. That's God's will for your life. 
starts with the word and then God builds and teaches and grows you and shows you his will. Thirdly, God's will for his life, for Joseph's life, was really more about other people than himself. Let me say that again. Joseph, for God's will, for Joseph's life, was really a lot more about other people than it was him. And this is a lesson that we've already taught from this platform, and we learned it way back in Genesis. Do you remember? Another Joseph, sitting in prison for a couple of years, totally confused, separated from his father for 17 years, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery into Egypt. What in the world is God doing in my life? These are circumstances outside of his control, and God is going to use them to make clear what his will is, and ultimately one of the lessons that we learn from Joseph of Genesis is the same lesson learned here by Joseph in Matthew. Joseph marries Joseph, and that is that all of a sudden... God's will for his life was made really clear and it didn't have anything to do with his goals and objectives. He had a whole new job. It's to go take Mary, take care of her, help her have the baby, and name the baby Jesus. That's it. Cool. Okay? All of a sudden, it's all about other people. It's about Mary, it's about Joseph, and it's also about the gospel that's going to go out for all people everywhere of all time. The third thing is that God's will for his life was realized by his obedience. God's will for Joseph's life is ultimately only realized by his obedience. Look at the, look at the last verse. Actually, verse 24, excuse me. When Joseph woke from sleep, look at the next two words. What? He did. The reality of God's will bearing fruit in his life was absolutely contingent, his obedience. He only accomplished what God had for him because he did what God told him to do. You take those and ponder them and think about them. Young people, you got a big vision for your life and you think God's going to work in your life and if you're not paying attention to his word, I'm telling you, there won't be any clarity It's possible for some of you that God's will for your life has a lot more to do with other people than it does you. And ultimately, you will never accomplish God's will for your life if you do not live in obedience to what you know to do and what God has made clear. Well, there's an interesting cast, an unexpected cast. Shepherds and wise men, they're interesting as well, how God used them. We'll leave them for maybe next year. Let's think a minute. Some lessons on God's will, being interrupted, the unexpected, being surprised by Jesus. It's a good time to just kind of ponder, am I living a pure life? And am I humble? And am I available? Am I letting God redirect my life if that's what he's about right now? Is this baby in a manger, this Jesus, is he the Lord of my life today? And maybe for some, you need to realize the reality of the incarnation, like the man with the birds in the barn, is that it was God come in flesh to lead you to the cross so you could understand that He alone could be your substitute. You couldn't go to the cross yourself. You couldn't die enough deaths yourself to pay the price for the sinfulness with which we're born. And our lostness 
But God only in his love sent Jesus who's qualified to go to the cross because he was perfect. He never sinned. And he could take your sin upon himself so that we could look to him and be saved. The baby in a manger came to go to the cross to carry our sin so that we can be saved. Are you saved today from your sin? Do you know this Jesus as your Savior? Do you know this Jesus as Lord and ruler of your life? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we look to you for our strength. We look to you for understanding, and we need you to change our hearts today. Our hearts are so divided. We're so drawn to the world, and our hearts are so given over to so many things, cluttered up with so many things. This Christmas, would you bring some clarity, Lord? Would you help us to have quiet times of worship? Would you help us to slow down? Would you help us to just be able to worship and to relax in your presence, to be renewed in our minds, in our souls, that we might be usable, usable vessels in this world. Father, for our young people, that they would be pure and humble and available and godly, that our young men would be righteous and just like Joseph, that our young women would be pure and holy like Mary. Father, that Jesus Christ would rule and reign over us is our prayer. So do your work in our hearts and change us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.